the British TV podcast with Chrissy and Ryan. It's our 2012 yeah. review special thingy. Yeah, it's been uh, since Christmas, I guess. We did one at Christmas. Yes. So. so we've been busy watching British TV. That's what I like to do. And now we get to talk about it. I'm Ryan in Seattle. I'm Chrissy, and we're still in Seattle. That's right. And do you know what this week is? This is our uh, third anniversary of the week that we launched this thing. Oh, hey. Low those three years ago. Cool. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I looked it up. It was the first week in October. I know that because I had to rena- renew the domain, and I'm like, okay, and it's like another $8 or something. Well, that's cool. There might be some distant meows during this podcast because Ryan's got, he had kittens last time we were on, and now they're fully grown, and Max the boy he doesn't like to be ignored apparently he's meowing away yes i didn't actually have the kittens personally the cat themselves had the kittens and then we we acquired them but yes they're two lovely cats so i wouldn't be surprised if they attempt to leap up and make noise and if we do we might stop recording or we'll just keep going who knows so we're working on without a script here this time uh we're just going to talk about stuff we've been watching yep and Um, you sent me a list and i had a few other things i've been looking at so where would you like to start doctor who We'll save it for last. Let's let's back up a little bit. Uh, did you watch any of the Olympics? No, I didn't. Well, I, I kind of had them on, but I didn't sit and watch them. Now, your friend I, JT works those things, right? She does, and she's actually one of a very small crew. I was surprised. They get um, they don't get a lot of credits, on-screen credits, but a, a couple times during the Olympics they did, and her brother stayed up and took a picture of the screen, and there's not that many of them, which must... She works good 15-hour, 16, 17, 18-hour days, so that must be why. They just don't want to take that many people, so they take those that can power through those hours. Did you see the opening ceremonies? Parts of them, yeah. Oh, you watched the NBC version? No, I I downloaded the BBC, but I haven't sat and watched it. My plan is to just have it on sometime when I'm doing some mending or something, so I can kind of go back and forth. It was quite good. I watched the NBC one, and then I watched the uh, downloaded one to see all the bits I missed. Uh, If you watch carefully, you will hear the TARDIS sound effect during just at the end of when they're doing Bohemian Rhapsody. Ah. I heard it the first time through, and then I was playing it for my wife, and I said, you hear that? She goes, no, that's part of the song. I said, it's not part of the Bohemian Rhapsody. I back it up for her. I said, listen carefully. And like for the third time, she said, oh, yeah, I guess I hear it there. They had apparently cleared being able to show the faces of all 11 doctors. They were going to do some much more thing, and I guess it got cut out during a rehearsal, And but they managed to get the uh, TARDIS sound effect in there. And that's just somebody wanging on piano strings, isn't it? That's how it was made originally. You know, I just remembered something in sixth grade. I put on a little play. Um, it was there were little magazines you could get that had these mini ten minute plays that were meant for children, and there was about time travel. And I made up a sound effects tape at home. And what I did was I'd play a really discordant chord on the piano, but I would only, and then I'd take my hands off, and then I'd record them. So I remember I, I thought of this. I could have been part of the polyphonic uh, radiophonic yeah. workshop. <laughs> wow, sound effects, and it sounded, Maven. It sounded really good too. It's like it was just the the reverb, not the actual hitting of the keys of the piano. Well, it's very inventive. I uh, <laughs> I've had to do a lot of sound work on movies I've made, and I I hate trying to create original sound effects. I'm not a sound guy. I basically will steal things from other shows and TV shows. So so good on you for actually. I sort of forgot about that, and then I just remembered there. the play and playing the little tape recorder with my sound effects I'd made for time travel got a cat doing backflips in front of me on the de- on the table now yes it's a podcast we can't see you uh habibi 
It's a very weird position. <laughs> anyway. We should take a picture and post it. She's awfully cute. But, uh, yeah, Britain uh, celebrated the Olympics. They had a lot of Olympic-style uh, shows kind of leading mm -hmm. up to it. And then, of course, there was nothing on during it right. except for the second season of Vexed. Well, I saw the Abfab that was... Oh, yes. ...around it there. That was still before just before it started. But while the actual two weeks it was going on, mm -hmm. there wasn't a whole lot to watch. So good time to catch up on stuff. Well, what do you want to start with? I don't know. You want to start with Doctor Who or you want to hold that to the end? Yeah, it's called Doctor Who. All right. Now, you had a theory. I had a theory, of, theory? of how they'll bring uh, Clara, Carla, Clara, Clara Oswin or Oswin Oswin. Uh, Oswald Oswin. Something like that. Yes. The Jenna Louise Coleman right. character that we saw who turned out to be a Dalek in Asylum of the Daleks. And we know that that actress is going to be the new companion starting at Christmas, but we don't know what her character will be called or if it'll be the same person or what's going on. It was right. a mystery. Well, I'm, I'm thinking if it's the same person. The doctor could go and collect and sort of restrain in some way Dalek Oswin and go and get a big vat of flesh and make her a doppelganger so that she can project her consciousness into that and then run around having human body experiences just like Amy did last year while her, her real body was somewhere else. But she's still a Dalek. Right, because... They sort of implied with this new Dalek that there's still human bits left inside, that she's not a squid, that there's still some bits of her real DNA still in there. It is amusing to think about having a Dalek as a companion. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what Moffat has in mind. That's very possible. Now, I'm correct in assuming that nobody actually saw her face. He doesn't know what she looks like. Right. We know what she looks like. So it's not like he's going to suddenly see her and go, oh, you're that girl I met in that adventure. So that'll, there'll be some explaining to do. But I guess all will be revealed, probably not, at uh, Christmas, since that's when we will meet Jenna Louise Coleman. Well, I don't, if he goes and gets her as a Dalek, she's not going to look like herself either. He'll, if he think, has been thinking about her and feeling so sad for her and the sacrifice and everything else, you know. And that she didn't even know she was a Dalek. Maybe he could right. go back and get her. But he only if heard her voice. she didn't blow up, right. That was, I think. Well, we'll see what uh, happens yeah. there. I always wondered if the flesh was actually meant to get River out of the computer and give her a body back. Mm -hmm. But now I'm thinking, it was definitely, I don't think it was meant to be just in those episodes because of how they ended them with, with the doppel doctor saying, did you know your consciousness can outlive your death and holding a sonic screwdriver? I think they meant to plant something there and bring it, maybe bring it back later. So, Well, in the sense that, you know, Amy was a fake and then her baby was a fake, but mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to see gangers again. It becomes too much of a gimmick then. And we're, there's plenty of gimmicks to be had, um, some of which we saw in this season. Yeah, Moffat does usually comes up with something else, but it, I still think my thing could work. And then I want them to go and get poor Ursula out of her block of cement, too. Oh. <laughs> That's hanging out with Mark Warren. Hey, speaking of him. Yes. He is in an American TV show. He's in The Good Wife. I've um, never seen The Good Wife. What's it about? You know, I, I should know what it's. It's, it's a, The Good Wife herself is the wife of a politician, but there's all her all the people that work with her too. And so he's playing just somebody who works with her named Kalinda and Mark plays her long mentioned and feared um, husband who was tracked that she was on the run from that he's tracked. 
he's tracked her down. But she still sort of is in love with him, even though she hates him. So I um, kind of, after the episode aired, I sort of wanted to see what the critics said. And one of them said, so the good wife returns, semicolon. Mark Warren is a very scary man. So it sounds like he's making a good splash there. Is he playing with a British accent? Yes. Okay. Well, it's very cool for him to get a, yeah. uh, I assume, I well, I don't assume, I know that it's a very highly respected series. Mm-hmm. I, I hear it's good things. It's just, it's on a network that I'm allergic to watching. So I have not seen The Good Wife. But uh, you can uh, check in and let me know uh, how it goes with that. But yeah, I saw you gloating on uh, Twitter there saying, the guy we profiled in our first podcast mm-hmm. is on American TV. So we knew it first three years ago how awesome Mark Warren is. So there. <laughs> Well, he tried to make a bid to get an American job a while ago, and what he ended up was the role in Wanted, the film, where he was didn't even have a name. He was the repair man. Mm. Although he got a beat at James McAvoy, and James McAvoy's character in State of Play had watched Mark Warren get beaten up, so right. they were talking about that in interviews, how it was finally getting his own back. Well, it's pretty nice to get it on an established series, so yeah. good for him. Yeah, he's on Twitter. He doesn't really tweet that much, although his little tiny Greenwich apart- Village apartment, which he couldn't believe how expensive it was, has mice. So he was talking about getting rid of the mice with exterminators. But on the day he landed in New York, Alan Cumming was going to pick him up and take him out. And well, Alan Cumming's in that show, yeah. isn't he? And Nathan Lane, yeah. And oh, Kristen wow. Chenoweth. And it's all done in New York, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Wow, what a great cast. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe I'll have to break my CBS embargo. <laughs> like, I need more stuff to watch. Oh, boy. All right. Oh, yeah, Doctor Who, Asylum the Dalek. It was a good romp. The new 21st century version of Robo-Men. We'd seen the Daleks sort of have uh, zombified humans doing their dirty work going all the way back to the Dalek invasion of Earth in 1964. But they had really ungainly bad 60s prop headsets, you know, headphones on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if that's uh, better or worse than having eye stalks suddenly shooting out of their foreheads. But it made for some nice dialogue. And uh, and the whole weird Amy Rory, we're getting divorced, no, we're not, that seemed really weirdly strong-armed in there. Cause... Did you watch Pond Life? Yes. Now, I've seen some very interesting theories. It says that the episodes that we got here, these five episodes, were not shown in the order that they take place. And in fact, you can uh, narrow in on that because uh, whilst they're running around in the Power of Three, they end up in Henry VIII's bedroom hiding underneath the bed. Mm -hmm. But in the previous episode, the doctor castigated Rory for having left his cell phone behind in Henry VIII's uh, bedroom. So it's just little vignettes of their last year, perhaps. Well, with the doctor popping in and out. Yeah, it could be that he knew the end was nigh and then went back retroactively because 10 years takes place. I mean, from the yeah, time. Yeah, there's that, a lot of people saying that he just broke his own rule because he couldn't stand that they were gone for good. So he went back. Yeah. Uh, just because of how sad he seemed at points. But supposedly, yeah, 10 years has occurred since the 11th hour as when he came back right. to her. Yep. She said not for Earth, but. Because of all the time they've been away, they also mentioned, you know, our friends are going to notice we're aging faster than they are. So yeah. he'd take them away for months at a time and bring them back a week later or something like that. 
Yeah, at the end of uh, The Angels Take Manhattan, I thought that they were going to really rip our heartstrings up by saying, yes, he knew they were dead all the time. And so he had gone back and had all these other adventures with them. I don't know if it's quite like that, but I think he... It's it's strange when you've got a show about time travel and then when you trap your characters in time and say, but you can't go back and see them because we're waving our hands really fast. Yeah, well, whether well, their deaths are a fixed point, well, fine, go get them and then put them back at the fixed point when they're ready to die. Or, or even know how old I, they're going to be. I, I can't travel back there to New York. Well, okay, travel back to Chicago and take a train or just go back 20 years earlier and wait. I mean, right. it and doesn't Ripper seem... Was- Already, oh, well, when I see Amy, I'll tell her to write the afterword to my book. So she obviously could <sighs> never see her mom again. So it, it really was a weak ending in that regard, I think. I saw somebody post something that said it would have been much more satisfying. After the whole Angel Adventures, the doctor says, oh, well, because of the, you, the angels had thrown you back and done all this stuff, you guys can't travel in time anymore. Mm-hmm. You're stuck here. And so basically, you know, goes back to their flag, grabs their passports, comes back to New York, hands them their passports and say, well, you'll have to fly back the old fashioned way and live out your lives in, in London and doing whatever you're doing. <laughs> their 2012 passports. That would be interesting. <laughs> no, no, they were in 2012 to start with. Oh. Remember when they're re- we're, we're in the Central Park reading the book. Right. That's the present day. Oh, so you think just when they bring them back to the present day, then they I, can't I th- well, when they, anymore. When they... After they jumped off mm-hmm. the building, yes. they ended up back in the cemetery, True. which what I assume was 2012. Well, yes. or, well, now technically, let's they see. They said it was 2012, actually. They mentioned it being 2012, so. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that gets confusing because then, all right, because it's been more than, it has not 10 years since the 11th hour happened, but I'm going to let that one slide. Well, as she said, they've been, it's not 10 years for Earth. Right. It's for them. So they've been. That's a lot Away of adventures. huge chunks of time, yeah. Hmm. That would be kind of fun to pack it in, though. Yeah. Oh, the cemetery stuff was all took place in the present day. So if they were, quote, stuck without being able to travel, they would be from here okay. going forward. Okay, I see. Forward. I thought you meant they were stuck without being able to travel back wherever they ended up. No. And that, I think, might have been a little more satisfying. I mean, it's kind of a rose kind of artificial thing, but it's just yeah, having them back in time, and he can't go back because he's even though he's got a time machine, I just seems you start introducing timey wimey stuff and then saying, well, but there's these certain rules mm-hmm. like cyborgs who really, really want to kill a guy, but arbitrarily decide they won't walk into the town to do it and put a line up themselves to, they did it. The, yeah. They said he did it. He put the line up and I'm like, why? Yeah, that was strange. And the other thing I realized, <laughs> I should have realized this earlier. It's definitely, it seems to be a Moffat thing. I was really sick of Amy hitting people. I wanted Rory to punch her back. I really did. Who'd she hit? With her, she's always slapping Rory. She slaps the doctor all the time, and that's just that's something little children do. And I, I really wanted Rory to hmm. give her a good smack back. I think it's one thing for a woman to hit a guy, and something else for a guy to hit a woman. I don't think it should be. <laughs> well, unfortunately, in a children's program, I think, yeah, that sends the wrong message, but that's just me. And River's always hitting the doctor, so it seems to be a Moffat thing that they get mad and they hit versus slapping someone to bring them back from being hysterical, which I think was the only slapping we saw under RTD's uh, reign on the show. Didn't Jackie do some slapping? Oh, yeah, she slapped the doctor. That's true for taking Rose away for a year and making her think she was kidnapped. Yes. 
That, that to me, though, that's a little more than, oh, I saw you looking up my skirt, husband, slap, sort of. That's a bit. I hadn't considered that. She likes hitting people, so. So did you like dinosaurs on a spaceship? Yeah, I like Mark Williams. It was fun seeing him. Oh, yes. Yeah, boy. Uh, I said, oh, remember him from Red Dwarf, but also Fast Show, the Harry Potter movies. Strangerers, <laughs> for the few of us who saw it. Oh, yes, the Strangerers. Yeah, he's uh, he's a funny guy. He's been in a lot of pilots and things like that, too. And so, yeah, he plays uh, Rory's dad, Mark, too. Said somebody else played Rory's dad in the... Um, the Wedding? Yes. But yeah, he was uh, quite a charming character there. And uh, of course, we recognize the voice of the robots as David Mitchell. Yes. Well, that seemed almost old Who-ish to me without knowing what old Who is about. <laughs> it seemed it took me out of the show for sure because it's so definitely them. But it was cute. Crotchety old guy from the Harry Potter movies who you see always playing crotchety old guys. Yep. Yeah, he's been in a lot too. Yeah, I've seen him on a bunch of TV stuff this year as well. He was in Hot Fuzz, he was in Blackpool, playing the guy who was always picketing the casino. He did had no other job other than picket. He turned out to be one of the character's fathers, wasn't he? Ripley's Casinos. Wasn't he Ripley's dad? No, I don't think so. I thought he was related to him. They had a chat near the end. I thought that was the big reveal. Oh, gosh, mm. it's been so long. Hmm. Um, and then uh, A Town Called Mercy, it had uh, Farscape actor Ben Browder in it. And Adrian Scarborough, who's been popping up a lot. He was the doctor? Um, yes. Yeah, I and just seen him. he was in a play with Benedict Cumberbatch, too, and he ended up winning the Olivier for it. Not Benedict, but... Oh, yeah, and he was... Uh, the beginning of the King's Speech, he's the BBC announcer. He played uh, Sheridan Smith's dad in Mrs. Briggs. It was on ITV. I mean, he's one of those guys who just... He's been in everything. And the, the League of Gents last thing that wasn't really a league of gents the one psychoville. with Don french psychoville yeah oh he psychoville was, yeah he played the clown the surgeon who cut off oh, right yes the hand and then that took was over him, his, wasn't it yes oh gosh yeah yeah he's one so of those he's another stealth seen actor but not really that stealth but uh not quite a household name but definitely oh it's him again oh this will be he'll be good we gotta watch him adrian scarborough well everybody got a little worried about the doctors sort of callous throw them to the android thing there you know yeah. it was like people were talking about was this after effects of the nanos from uh, get, uh the daleks there affecting the doctor you know it took away the good and left only the hate or something like that but every time i think oh the doctor does something very undoctory i i cast my mind back to you know the 49 years of of material or you know 23 seasons of material and the doctors did some pretty dastardly things very overtly you know, if somebody really pissed him off, he he was not averse to throwing them to the wolves. Tom Baker did that a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't think there's any breaking any precedents there. But I mean, it was interesting, and it was nice to have Amy kind of put him on the spot and say, we don't roll like that. And well, he gave him the last chance. <laughs> he just didn't take it because <laughs> he didn't believe him. He yeah. told him, you know, missiles are coming, go get off. And he wouldn't do it. So maybe he that was an echo back to Tennant the second he became ten of um, no second chances on that kind of man. So. And then uh, we had the power of three. Yeah, I didn't care for it. Oh, really? Why not? Um, don't know why exactly. Just didn't really ring. 
interesting to me. I was interested in it because I thought the mystery was good and, and I like the Amy Rory doctor stuff and how it was all interacting and taking place over a long period of time. And then it presented the most generic villain I've ever seen on Doctor Who, which is <laughs> saying two, a lot. And a two-second solution with the screwdriver, yeah. Now, apparently he was played by a real big-name actor. Stephen Burkoff, yeah. Where would he's I know him playwright. from? Um, he's just, I think he's mostly in the theater. Hmm. Okay. There have been a lot of really crap monsters over the years, but even the worst ones had something distinctive or unique about them. And this guy was just a totally generic bad guy, wearing bad guy, you know, emperor, evil emperor makeup. And he wasn't even really there. He was a hologram. Mm -hmm. And so that part, I mean, maybe that was meant to be deliberately so of saying, look, the, 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 the MacGuffin is not important in this story. You know, it is a MacGuffin. But it just seemed really uh, kind of unfair that all this big buildup, and it was just like, that's the bad guy? And then, oh, we'll just blow him up. Yep, and that's another one for my bad CPR on Doctor Who reel, too, because I was ask you about that. dead of cardiac arrest, and they've been lying there, and they just sort of get up again. It's like, no, they'd have brain damage. And all the people who were driving when the boxes made them go, they would have crashed into each other, and airplanes would be falling from the sky, <laughs> Yeah, they wouldn't just dust the ground off and lie down and sit there uh, in stasis for eight minutes or however long it took the doctor to fourteen and a half minutes of screen them time. Them all apparently. with the cubes. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. When you try to make sort of a world busting kind of thing like that, it does. You have to, if you don't, you can't think about the ramifications too much. So yeah, that was a bit hard to take. Mm -hmm. But I like the story and what it was trying to do, and I thought it worked pretty well. And for people who were sort of down on Chris Chibnall, although I liked his Torchwood stories, but, you know, the Silurian one left me cold. I, the two that he did I thought were pretty good. And then we had the Angels Take Manhattan, along with the Muppets. What would you think of uh, Giant Evil Statue of Statue Liberty? Liberty? Oh, I loved it. I knew she had to be. I guess okay. people have been joking about this for quite a while. In fact, there even was a Facebook meme. It was the face of uh, Bill S. Preston there, a.k.a. Keanu Reeves, saying, uh, whoa, what if the Statue of Liberty is an angel, but everybody keeps looking at it? Mm -hmm. And then they, the next still was the angel there. Yes, but how did, how did she avoid the glance of all of New York long <sighs> enough to have a little walk over to the hotel? I don't know. I, Maybe the angels warped time or something so that everybody froze. They're everybody. really, really fast. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a bit hard to believe. But it was certainly a very cool visual. And mm -hmm. I did feel a really nice sense of dread with this episode. I think it's nice that Angel episodes a lot take place at night, which is just inherently scarier. Yeah. And they are really good monsters. And I really kind of felt, wow, things are, you know, these these are serious stakes going on here. I have a friend, um, ex-boyfriend, who's living in Saudi Arabia, and he just changed his Facebook page where he went out just to see some of the, the area. And there's this big rock formation behind him. And one of them, I thought, that needs a face on it. It looked like a head with no face. So I've been sending him new ones. So far, he's had a wee an angel. Um, he's had the Statue of Liberty. That was probably the best, since I don't have Photoshop. I just have to use paint. And, and um, Justin Bieber. So any other ideas of who I can put on Nick's rock angel? <laughs> rock face just uh, send them in everyone <laughs> this is a formation in statue in saudi arabia yeah and oh. it just looks like it all, it's like a statue without a face I can, hmm. i'll send it to you it's pretty funny i've been enjoying it in fact one of your kitties would go pretty well because it's a gray rock so and they have little gray and white faces so 
I'll give you a picture of my cat if you want. Take a picture of uh, Habibi or Max. Have we exhausted Doctor Who or are we still on the angels? I'm trying to think of what else I thought. Uh, Yeah, again. Are you sad to see the end of Amy and Rory or more excited for a new companion? Well, one reason I like Doctor Who a lot is because it is a show about change. Mm Mm-hmm. It's always exciting when something new gets mixed in. It's not the same program it was in 1963 or even, you know, 2009. So I think they'd sort of run their course. And and you want to see how the character will now bounce off somebody else differently. And Jenna Louise Coleman, if she's anything like she played Oswin, it'll be a real firecracker. Well, yeah, they said she can talk faster than Matt Smith. Which I can talk faster than Matt Smith. Big pretty deal. Incredible. Mm-hmm. I was reading about Arthur Darville, whose real name is Tom, but I guess there was already a Tom Darville. Oh. Uh, he's very accomplished. He went to RADA, which, of course, is the, probably the hardest school to get into. They only take 14 students a year. But from an early age, he was in a band that put out an album while he was still in his teens. And he's written a musical that's going to be done professionally in London next year. And he's been doing a lot of stuff off Doctor Who season with, you know, the Royal Shakespeare Theater and stuff. So um, he was doing some interviews like, oh, Doctor Who's done. I'm done. I loved it. It was great, but I'm done. And I also did know that he and Matt Smith actually went way back. They starred in a play together with Christian Slater a couple years ago on the London stage before either of them did any TV work. Yeah, Arthur's a real actor, and uh, he's going to be a guest at Gallifrey One next February. Uh-huh. So I will see him there. I think he, he'll have a long career, and Doctor Who will just be one of those things that he did in his youth. Yep. But considering the, how Rory gets treated in the 11th hour, I mean, he's just sort of the throwaway sort of boyfriend, not boyfriend, and then for him to have such a big impact on the show where he was a regular guy is, is kind of nice. I mean, that was all part of Moffat's master plan. It was sort of nice how they introduced him, that you weren't sure if he was just meant to be there or what. Well, he was saying, I watched the behind the scenes, that he didn't even know he was going to be that much of a regular. He was only signed for a few episodes at the beginning. And Stephen Moffat said the great thing that he did was, even though Amy and the Doctor seemed like a complete unit, he managed a way to get Rory in there without seeming like the third wheel. That it, the the unit just changed its dynamics, and now Rory was part of the unit too, which they felt was in due part to Roy the writing, but also Arthur's skill. So that's why he ended up being a bigger player in it all than perhaps they'd thought. I liked having a married couple in the TARS. I thought that was brilliant. I I wanted to see it, and we got to see it, and I thought it was great. I never saw their bunk beds though. <laughs> um, it is a children's program. <laughs> well, you could have seen them in their jammies and their bunk beds, you know. Uh, parents of they know they're married the children's know they're married <laughs> mom and dad share a bedroom the short season though does seem like i mean mm. it all happened in september there happened yeah. to be six sorry five saturdays in september and so we started the month and end of the month and now there's no more doctor who yeah, for got three kind months of a hunger for more myself but I guess there's always more to come. Well, of course, there's more to come. The Christmas special and be a whole bunch next year. And then 50th anniversary. Woohoo. And now, did all... I hear that RTD's doing a, some sort of children's show? Yes. It is Wizards versus Aliens. Because I, I had heard that all his writing was on hold while his partner was ill, but I don't know how. He and one of the Sarah Jane writers co-created this show. And I don't remember which one it was. Uh, but yeah, originally it was called Aliens versus Wizards. And then Fox said... No, you can't do that. And then, okay, we'll call it Wizards versus Aliens. And, uh, yeah, it's been trailered, but I have not seen it. Well, it hasn't shown yet, so I don't know what it'll be like. RTD has lots of history writing children's television, so I'm sure it'll be fine. 
here's something I really want to talk about, and that is uh, Parade's End. Okay. I watched the first episode. I watched the little 30-minute behind in the, the, the world of Parade's End. Oh, I haven't seen that. Um, which was meant, again, with HBO to show there. And then I watched the last episode. I don't know if I'll watch the ones in the middle because it seemed like it was... Just sort of the same sort of thing, stretched out. He loves, he loves her, but he's married to her, and they don't love each other, and just so um, it was interesting. I've also been reading um, a diary of there was a uh, kind of a young adult author I really liked in my youth, named Helen Dora Boylston. She'd been a nurse, very young nurse, just like twenty-one years old during World War One, and she kept a diary of it. And I always wanted to read it. It's it's long out of publication and somebody had scanned it and put it online so I've been reading that too so the, she was stationed in France but she would take her when she got some leave she'd go over to London and do some shopping so that was kind of interesting having just read that seeing the World War One parts of the show well I was kind of hoping you would talk me off the ledge because I really did not like Parade's End at all I found it really distant I could not relate to these characters at all even though the situations and the period is exactly the same time as Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the gentrified class, and it's all during the 1910s. And yet, they make the cast of Downton Abbey look like my next-door neighbors as far as relatability goes. I didn't like Benedict's character. Uh, he played... Uh, the last Tory. Christopher Titchens. Mm-hmm. You know, he's supposed to be this math whiz, and he, he sees the war is going to come and all this sort of stuff. And his best buddy is uh, played by Stephen Graham, who's in Boardwalk Empire. He plays Al Capone. I'm beginning to use his real Scottish accent. And, you know, he gets this terrible woman as his wife, and she cheats on him and has an affair and has a child with somebody else, but he takes her back anyway because it's the honorable thing to do. And, and he just he makes a lot of really poor moves and despite the fact that he is probably the most honorable guy in britain i mean he does have an impeccable reputation everyone believes every bit of slander about him that they hear i mean his brother does his wife does their friends all do oh i heard he's at the mistress oh i heard this valentine hated 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 the makeup and hair they put on her it was so out of the period, especially the first hairdo she had that looked like she went to Videl Sassoon and got it cut and streaked. And when I looked at her makeup and the eyebrow shape and everything else, it was completely contemporary. It was weird because they weren't doing that with everybody. Um, You're talking about Adelaide Clemens' character of Valentine. She's a young yeah. suffragette. Like Rufus Sewell in the one scene I saw him in in the first episode. He shows up a little bit in the second one, then he dies. Because um, he was always sort of somebody in interviews who said he wanted to be a character actor, even though he sort of had the looks of a leading man. Well, he's aging now, yeah. which is showing. So I think he's getting to be the character actor he's always wanted to be, and, and it's it's kind of neat. I enjoyed what he brought to that little role a lot. I can't for the life of me understand why HBO co-produced this. I don't know how it's going to appeal to the average HBO no. subscriber. And I will notice the fact that they have had a, they have a big trailer they always put on Sunday nights before their leading drama. And it's all this upcoming stuff, you know, clips of stuff that's not even going to be on until 2013. And they don't include Parade's End. They're not even promoting it. So I have no idea when they have it scheduled or what they're going to do or how they're going to promote it or why they think anybody wants to watch this costume drama. I mean, maybe it was all a big satire by Tom Stoppard and I didn't quite <laughs> get it. I mean, not on the audience, but just it was meant to be 
making fun of these characters. I've seen a few Tom Stoppard plays and loved them, but they were witty and they moved and they had bounce and... Yeah. Have you seen the film Rosencrantz and Guildenstern? I'm familiar with it. Guildenstein are dead. You definitely should see it. It's it's really low key. You have to sit there and watch it, but it gets under your skin and the performances are amazing. Well, I defy all the uh, Benedict Cumberbatch fans, I refuse to use the <laughs> slang term they have on the on mm-hmm. the uh, internet for them, to uh, sit through this thing and the just... The Cumberbunnies? Uh, slightly <laughs> rougher <know>. thing there. <laughs> okay, we'll call them Cumberbunnies. Getting through this whole thing. I mean, for one thing, we're supposed to believe that he's like re- repellent to all females or females are all repellent to him. He's like, Benedict Cumberbatch, come on. So I found that part unbelievable. But yeah, I, I just found the whole thing very cold and... and uh, totally unrelatable. And I like period dramas. I'm mm-hmm. totally eaten up down Abbey. It's uh, right in the middle of the third week right now. I know you don't follow it. Uh, most people here probably see it in January when it's on uh, Masterpiece. And, you know, if you like down Abbey, it's more of the same. Lots of uh, uh, family drama and angst. And, you know, it basically is a you know high-class soap opera. And, you know, you either buy into that or you don't. I, I, my wife and I enjoy it quite a bit. And, you know, it's a completely different world than, than Parade's End. So two different things there. Uh, you know, what's running right now on Masterpiece is called The Midwife. Did you ever see that? Yes. Saw the whole series. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Loved it. And Miranda Hart turns up in episode two. Yeah. And they're deciding right now at Channel 9 whether or not to pick up Miranda's series. So. Oh. Yeah. Well, they've been asked if I, if I happen to have copies of them and if could I possibly... Very popular at our mm-hmm. local video nights. They love her. Yep. We've been waiting for the third season. The BBC keeps repeating all her old ones on Friday nights, and I keep checking to see, is it a new episode? No, it's a repeat of the first two series. I follow her on Twitter. I think it's it's not till December, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, all right. I thought it might be in the autumn. Oh, well. So what else have you been taking a look at? Got in, I got in a little Louis through um, groove. I have a friend who worked in the entertainment industry right out of college. He went to NYU, and he worked for Warner Brothers for a long time. He worked for Kodak. He worked for Stars, But he'd always had a huge interest in psychology. So for the last five or six years, while still working in quality assurance for Stars, he went to school, and he got his degree, and um, he became a psychologist. And he quit the entertainment industry and started working in a prison. Loves it to death. But he works with a lot of sex offenders, and it was and Louis had gone to California, where there's this program for sex offenders who have served their prison terms but are considered a threat, so they don't let them out. So they're just living out their lives. Very few get released, even though the conditions they're put into, since they've been quote unquote punished by prison, they're getting put in a nicer sort of place where they actually have birthday parties and activities and school and stuff like that, but they don't have their freedom. It was a really interesting documentary because Louis can be so, um, he just doesn't have a lot of fear about putting himself in that sort of situation and talking to people. And so I sent it to Bart and it turned out that the woman who was Louis's um, main guide in the documentary just went to where my friend Bart works and help them set to set up some new program there. So he was able to see he'd say he'd seen her in the show and discuss things that they'd talked about and that had happened in the documentary. So that was kind of serendipitous. Do you just always follow up his documentaries regardless of what they're about? No, um, I was kind of interested in it because of my sort of renewed contact with my friend. With who, the topic, yeah, okay. 
Because I met Bart and I met him standing in line at the Neptune when I was about 16 and he would have been 19. And we just kept seeing each other around all the time. So we became friends. And when he, he's very good at keeping in touch and so am I. So when he went off to NYU, we just were snail mail friends and would send each other Laurie Anderson tapes and stuff like that. And he prefers working in the prison industry rather yeah. than the entertainment industry. He loves it. He says he used to lie awake thinking about how much he didn't like his job anymore, and now he lies awake just planning and being so excited and how much he enjoys it. He's a big dude. He's six foot five, so he's kind of not a little wallflower, you know, so he doesn't have that physical fear hmm. like someone who more average size might. So, um, yeah, he's loving it. And his actually his longtime partner, um, who they've never gotten married, but she was also interested in psychology, so she was in the same school as he was at the same time so they could study together, although she's not working in the prison. I'm not sure what she's doing. She'd been a librarian previously. Okay. So there you go. What was the name of that documentary? Oh, A Place for Pedos or something like that. It, was, it wasn't... It Was it mostly based in America? Yes, it was in California. Okay. And what else did I watch? I watched The Men Who Made Us Fat, which was kind of interesting. I didn't see that. What was that? Three-part documentary and about how certain scientists kind of figured out in the 50s that it wasn't so much fat that makes people become obese. Um, it was sugar and how sugar makes you want more sugar and converts to fat and how the sugar industry um, suppressed that information and discredited that doctor and so it became, no, it's it's non-fat. If you eat non-fat, you'll be fine. And those Snackwell cookies, which were probably a terrible, terrible product to go out because they're pure sugar, but were touted as being something you could just eat gobs of then not gain weight. Did the corn syrup industry yeah, come yeah, into it? Because I know that's a big problem and, nowadays. Because you really can't find real sugar in products, you get corn syrup. It's really everything. interesting. Um, there is, my favorite documentaries about weight have come out of the Britain there was one that used pure science to prove or disprove things that really honestly could make you lose weight. And they did one test where they had a bunch of soldiers and group A were fed for lunch chicken, rice, vegetables, and a glass of water. Group B were fed the exact same things but blended into kind of a thick soup. And then every half hour they had their... Um, tummies ultrasounded to see what was sticking around and they found and also asked you know how full do you feel do you still feel full and the ones that had eaten it as soup it stayed with them just a lot longer before it was digested so there are things like that um they had one of the alex james from i think blur who's now a dairy farmer he ate a certain diet one week and then the exact same number of calories but with more of them coming from dairy the next week and his output was analyzed and found that he was losing fat more when he ate more dairy lean dairy in the diet so it was really interesting just actually not well this is my opinion I think this is probably what happens but actually using different scientific methods to prove that and I can find the name of that documentary for you it's a few years old now but I, I really enjoy what the Brits can do about that topic. What Chase Station does it usually run on? Pardon me? Who usually shows it? Which broadcaster? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess the BBC or Channel 4. All right. Yeah. Did you see uh, Darren Brown's latest special? 
Nope, I haven't. I'm going to wait for the DVD, which always has a lot of extra stuff. Okay. Yeah, just Svengali. I was kind of surprised because usually the show ends with him saying, oh, yes, and all these little things here in the theaters, yes. what led you to And he didn't do it this time, so he didn't really find out how he did any of the tricks. You're just left enough to have your mind boggled. It's kind of fun watching his very first series now because now you can kind of see what he was doing. He was using a lot more psychology in those early years, and now he's doing a bit of psychology, but it's a lot more, well, I should say, the, his middle years, it turned more to dressing up old standard magician tricks and making them appear as if they were psychologically um, performed. Although he said that pretty much since the heist, if he says something is true on camera, it's true. He's not trying to uh, misdirect anymore. I listened to a Nerdist podcast that had Justin Willman in it, mm -hmm. and uh, he's a magician. And he, in the middle of it, he suddenly started talking about saying, oh, you guys know about Darren Brown? And kind of raving about, there's this guy in England who does kind of psychology and also, you know, tricks and things like that. And he does these state shows and he does a different show every year. And, and just like, did my heart well to hear Darren Brown get a shout out there. Well, his stuff's on Hulu now, all his old shows, because he, he's oh. hoping to bring his show to New York, I think, late this year, well, now it's too late now, but sometime next year. I'm on his mailing list, so I'm going to go if he ever finally does it. He's been saying he would for years. Do you know what else is on Hulu? They're, they're co-producers. Is the new series of The Thick of It. Oh, okay. Which I'm a big fan of because, of course, it's got it's, Peter Capaldi. Chris Langham's still in it, or has he been gone since the, his scandal? He's gone, but... And, and Malcolm, with the labor out of power, they have to focus on the conservative. So every other episode is the conservative guys, and they've got their own PR guy who's screwing things up. And then the labor guys who are out of power with Malcolm running around and stuff like that. So we get kind of a slightly bigger cast of characters and stuff. But I, I like that show a lot. But yeah, it's a co-production of Hulu, and it, it's on Hulu. Oh, did I ever tell you about the story of Darren Brown? And the, remember that letter he wrote to the ten-year-old boy? Yeah. That I brought. I posted it. There was um on his website several like five years ago now, maybe not quite that long. You no, know, about five years. People were talking about how he seemed like a nice person, and I said I was reading along the week he was answering questions at a magic community, and this is what he wrote, a ten-year-old kid, and I think it's the cutest thing ever, and I cut and pasted it. Well, about two years later, somebody else was laboriously going through all of the old comments on Darren's website and found the letter I'd posted and loved it and reposted it again. And this time it went kind of semi-viral and Darren's people saw it. And so I guess now if you buy his theater program, it has, here's, this is a letter Darren wrote to a 10 year old fan. So I'm glad I saved it. I don't know if he saved a copy too, or if it's on the program because of that whole read surge of information when somebody found what I'd posted and sent it out again. But it is an adorable letter. So there you go. Um, watch Gen Z. I know you you got to that before I did. What did yeah, you think this is Gen Z. Z. Um, it went over very well at our video nights. Yeah, I said, it, it here's would. something you guys might like. You know, David Tennant's in the first episode. And uh, we would all sing along the theme song at the beginning. I bought the album, which is really short because most of the songs are 30 seconds to two minutes long. But you can buy the album on iTunes. So I did. And my sister and I sing, put in your teeth, put in your teeth, to each other all the time. Um, yeah, I liked it. It had a great cast right out the gate. The I saw the pilot after I saw the original. And that pilot was done for BBC. Right, and, then and they, it wasn't as funny. They it sold it to Sky. Yeah, they, they ramped it up a bit with Sky. And it was directed by Matt Lipsy, who did uh, Psychoville. And the, um, Mighty Boosh as well. Some of Mighty Boosh. 
yeah. Yeah, Catherine Tate's in an episode. uh, Simon Callow's in an episode. uh, um, Tons of really big name actors. Well, you've got these two guys, um, Justin, and I can't think of the other one, but they've been friends since they were teens. They've been a double act going forever, but they've just sort of played, you know, men's clubs and things like that in Guernsey. And so it's funny seeing them for their very first appearance on television. Yeah, Chris Brand and Justin Chris Chubb. Brand. Yeah, but it's with such authority and, and just so good at what they're doing. You know, there's no early struggling years. This is their first TV show, and wow, it's pretty well done. And their performances are the timing, everything's there. It's not like you're watching Matt Lucas and David Williams in the mid-90s doing something on the Paramount station, you know, it's, it's, they really came roaring out of the gate there and I'm looking forward to the second series. Is there going to be one? Oh yeah. Yeah. It takes place on this Island. That's sort of this alternative universe. They have modern technology. They have tessellators, which are sort of two way interactive TVs, but yeah, they don't really understand how everything works. So it's sort of like, is this a post-apocalyptic society that forgot about its technology or, cause they don't seem to know that the rest of the world even exists. Right. There's, there's a hint in the last episode that there's the real world's out there and, uh, the um, second-in-command kind of gets sort of a whiff of it, so he's planning to go exploring, but he doesn't want to tell anybody. And Jennifer Saunders is sort of the, the she's voice the voice. of the tessellator. Yeah, she's the telling voice of the person. what to do. There's more tessellators than, than people on the island. Speaking of Jennifer Saunders, did you see Dead Boss? No, I didn't see Dead Boss. Yeah, Dead Boss was by uh, Sharon Horgan. And is a woman who's falsely accused of murder and sent to prison. It's a comedy. And Jennifer Saunders is the warden, who's a very unorthodox person. And it had a lot of uh, big names who would show up, like Carolyn Quentin, which opened an episode, or Miranda Richardson. And it was this kind of weird, goofy comedy that worked on the premise that you have to assume everybody in the show was very stupid and very uh, selfish. Mm. Because otherwise you'd be like, that wouldn't happen in the real world. But it was kind of cute. Yeah, I've always been a fan of hers, going way back to the early 80s. Jennifer Saunders? Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. She gets prettier and prettier as she gets older. My mom reckons most women hit their beautiful, most beautiful time at about 20. But she looked in her 20s and 30s, she, well, she was having children. Well, she looked kind of pudgy and unfinished, Jennifer Saunders, probably because she was pregnant or had been pregnant or whatever. And then she hit 40 and got gorgeous. And she has sort of a very classic, and she also has a very classically proportioned, beautiful face, but it's... With just a little bit of makeup or a little a wig or something, she can look so much like other people too. Oh yeah, Jodie Foster, Meryl Streep, Liza Minnelli. So you enjoyed those uh, Ab Fab specials that, that we yeah, had. Yeah, that was fun. And Seeing those were again. co-produced with Ovation. They're running on. Oh. Yeah, I think Ovation is a co-producer of those things now. Well, Comedy Central was the first that showed Ab Fab twenty years ago when it was starting. Yep, it was fun. Seeing the J Team. So oh, they yes. call themselves because they all have J names. I also have been listening to, there's three series and a Christmas special. Cabin Pressure. Have you heard any of that? It's I've heard BBC of it. I have show. not listened to it. Unfortunately, I don't have time to get into radio. But Oh, it's fantastic. Well, listen to it in the car, dude. I can, I can, <laughs> do you have a CD player? I'll loan it I have, to you. I have podcasts to listen to. No, wow. I do not have a CD player in my car. Well, Benedict Cumberbatch uh, plays one of the pilots. It's a teeny tiny airline. They have one plane that seats 15 people that this rich ex-wife won in the divorce settlement. And 
Her captain is Benedict Cumberbatch's character, Martin. Although I guess in the third series, in one episode, someone else played him because he was unavailable. But he's he's mostly been Martin. And the they've been doing these, I think the most recent series was 2010, and they're planning another one. Which is funny because, you know, his star is rising, but it can't take that long. Oh, he did a record radio series? Yeah. To do these things. Second in command actually is a much more qualified older pilot who had a career as captain in a much larger airline, but was found to be smuggling too many times. So he's, he got fired. And so he's the second in command of this charter and they'll go absolutely anywhere and pick up anything and carry anybody. And so every week they're going to a different country or city or something and they have different adventures and it's just great fun i've really been enjoying it is he funny he's very funny so he's he's funny in a way that john ham is funny huh mm-hmm. oh be his character um is it's kind of a, a schlub and he it's revealed <laughs> in the second series that he works for free because he was so desperate to become a pilot captain and when his father died his father wouldn't didn't leave him any money because he was so sick of this kid already wasting every penny he earned trying to become a pilot so he left him a van. So uh, Martin's real job that earns his room and board is a man with a van who schleps stuff around with people. And then his flying is what he does as a hobby because he's not getting paid for it. And it's just, it's really, I thought, for the first five minutes, I thought, oh, this might be a little silly. But it's actually very clever. It's really funny. And they get bored. So they have competitions. They're endlessly inventing games to take up time in the cockpit like people who's have names that sound evil they're like Callista Flockhart <laughs> they're going on and wrestle crow better to cumberbatch yes exactly they were going on with that it's it's a good show and if you can get your your mitts on it I'd it, it sounds good and i just like the idea that there's like you know radio comedy because that's a completely foreign concept here in america yeah, and David Tennant does a couple things every year. He did Of Mice and Men last year, and he read, and with his beautiful accent, the um, the Pied Piper. Oh, well, he did. Robert Burns. Was it last version. year or two years ago that they did Stalingrad? Yeah, he's that was done great. tons of, and so it's, yeah, I love the idea that these people who really on the A-list are still doing radio, both dramas and sitcoms and reading books allowed to be played on radio for but also they still do panels and game shows and oh speaking of which have you watched uh world comedy world cup no okay david Tennant's the host of that oh i've watched all three big fat quizzes that they did i haven't seen month. the oddies one yet but ah, i saw the 80s and 90s one yesterday yeah I'm just i'm about a week behind on stuff and working on this podcast well the 80s i have at home i have to show my mom their mystery guest and see if if she can guess who it is, but don't say because she wants to listen to this podcast too. <laughs> the funniest line was probably uh, was uh, Jack uh, Whitehall. Is that right? Yes. When uh, he realized who the two guests were for the '90s one, he goes, "If if they're the Teletubbies, I'm just gonna you know lose my nut." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. And then they brought Mr. Blobby out at the end, and that freaked him out. <laughs> I know. I didn't know how much of that was acting and how much he was actually scared. Yep, it's always a fun show. And I thought to myself, you know, he gets a lot of guff, but I really like Jimmy Carr. Because a lot of comedians, they, um, I don't know why, but it seems to be that 
they don't find their, I guess maybe it's competition or maybe because it's their jobs, but they're not as inclined to actually find other things funny or laugh. And he laughs his lungs out. He has and a very unique laugh. He's very, he's a, yeah, he sounds like a seal. He <coughs> laughs. But he's, he's really engaged with people if he's talking to them or asking them questions. Cause you know, he was the guest along with, of the Antonio Banderas and, uh, Selma Hayek, when I was uh, the Graham Norton. Oh, right. And he was asking just as many questions as Graham. But, I mean, he, the body language, and he's really interested. He's not just waiting for the next pause so he can say something. And then there were two little boys in the Audi episode, and he he just was teasing them, and they were loving it and giggling. You could tell that they were, they'd be very happy to adopt him as their new favorite uncle. Well, I liked him on 10 O'Clock Live, too. You know, he would do the kind of Dennis Miller stand-up topical mm-hmm. news thing, but then he would also do his goofy sketch, and he knew it was a goofy sketch. And they put him in some makeup and some costume kind of thing, and uh, it was good. Did you watch The Hollow Crown? No. Oh, these were four Shakespeare dramas, and they were so good. Okay. This These were co-produced with WNET, so I would assume that they will be on PBS at some point. And boy, talk about an all-star cast. They've got uh, Ben Wyshaw is, uh, plays Richard II in the first one. It's got Patrick Stewart, David Morrissey, David Suchet, Lindsay Duncan. And then in Henry IV, Prince Hal's played by Tom Hiddleston, who was Loki in The Avengers. And he's just great. And he's the perfect age. I mean, he's just so full of energy and, and a great, great actor. Um, you can't always tell in those superhero movies <laughs> when he's being beaten up by the Hulk. <laughs> he really is a great classically trained actor. Alan Armstrong's in that. Julie Walters, Michelle Dockery from. Uh, oh yeah. Don uh, Abbey. Abbey. Jeremy Irons. Godfather. Maxine Peake yeah, from Shameless, her. and then she's got her own lawyer series. She has a teeny tiny little part playing a wench in these things. You know, like blink and you miss her. Like that's Maxine Peake. She gets like two lines of dialogue. Yeah, she's another Brada grad. Yeah. And great production values. When we started watching this, my wife's like, oh, they're not going to show the, the battle scenes. They'll just be, it'll be off stage. Oh, no. When there's a battle scene, they're on a battlefield. There's hundreds of extras in costumes. They're running around. They're in a castle. They're in a castle scene. They're in a beach. They're in a beach scene. Amazing production values. Amazing casts. I showed this to my brother-in-law. He thought it was great. And he's definitely not somebody who watches oh. Shakespeare things. The best Shakespeare stuff you'll ever see. Really, really good. I like Shakespeare. Uh, Hollow Crown was I'm just related the... to him somehow, but oh. most of us probably are. My, At this my point... father's mother did some genealogy and found out he's way back in our family tree. Yeah, that, that definitely will be on my top of the year list because it was so good and so well done. Well, I watched at least one episode of, of Everything You Asked Me To. So, Mrs. Biggs. Oh, yeah. What would you think of that? Don't think I'll watch the rest. Oh. I, I sort of know the story. It's interesting, though. You know, when Ronnie Biggs came back, um, allowed himself to be extradited and came back, this was in 2001, everybody expected that he'd get back and die. And he's still going strong-ish. I mean, not really. But he was let out in 2009, having served a total of 10 years for compassionate leave, and he's been in and out of the hospital, and, and apparently he's had strokes and can't speak, but he's still alive. It's crazy. Yeah, he's one of the participants in the Great Train Robbery of 1963, yeah. and this focuses more on his wife, played by Sheridan Smith. Right. And she's very good, and yes, you, she's won good. Tonys and Olivier's and all sorts of things, And but she does TV. She's been on sitcoms, and she was a companion with Paul McGann in the audio adventures. She's done Doctor Who. Well, she got her, her start with the National Youth Theater, 
yeah. which is also where Jessica Hines first got an agent and where Matt Lucas and David Williams met each other. They would do, um, it was every summer break, it would be, I think it was a month or two weeks or something, they would do a play and they did a production of Bugsy Malone that, and this was not very unusual, this did not happen every year, some producers paid and it ran on uh, in the West End at the Queen's Theatre for several months, And sh- except in the film Bugsy Malone, the kids were lip-syncing adults, but in this production they did their own singing, and she was playing the part that Jodie Foster had played in the film, so that's how she kind of got her start. And there's clips of her at the age of like 15, you can see her on YouTube singing. And, yeah, she's really good. She's been, I remember her on uh, The Royal Family playing Antony's vegetarian girlfriend. And she's she was on Benidorm for a year. And Two Ants of a Lager and a Packet of Crisps. She had a long-running sitcom and stuff like that. And it was very nice to take this sort of infamous character in, in British crime history right. and, and focus on his wife. He actually had a very small part. He was just kind of a like lookout guy for the robbery. But he escaped from prison two years late after two years. Right, so that's and- what really... Ended up and then in he Australia, then met Brazil, his family. And went, and yeah, and, and in the great rock and roll swindle, the Sex Pistols, some of them went to Brazil, and they yeah, he's on the album. met him, and yeah, and they danced naked on the beach. Yeah, so very interesting life. Uh, he's played by Daniel Mays, who we saw in Ashes to Ashes, and he mm-hmm. was in Doctor Who last year, and uh, a very good actor. He always plays kind of petty criminals. And that. Rada, yep, looked him up. Uh, did you see the uh, new Sinbad series that was on Sky One? No. Uh, fantasy series by the guys who did Primeval, so lots of CGI monsters and magic and stuff. It's got uh, Naveen Andrews from Lost. He plays a baddie in it. And it's just a nice young cast. And what's nice is the fact that you realize, wow, like all these characters are like Muslims and out of Basra. So it, it takes place in a world that we don't see a whole lot on TV here. So I thought that was kind of nice. But, you know, swashbuckling family adventure oh, yeah. program. Very harmless. Uh, did you see Matt Smith and Bert, Bert and Dickie? Matt Smith? No, I didn't. Uh, this is based on two scholars uh, in the 1948 Austerity Olympics. So it was one of these dramas the BBC showed in a run-up to the Olympics. And, of course, they were national heroes. and But they were from different classes. And, and uh, it was a nice little vehicle for Matt you Smith know, I to watched the in. first two episodes of The Playhouse Presents that was on a while ago. The one with David Tennant as Will Self. And uh, the next one that had Paulo Grady and Sheila Hancock. And I love Sheila Hancock. So oh, yeah. Fun. I saw all those. I thought those were really good. Those little shorts that they've done. And two of those crisp, uh, little crackers have sort of spun off into their own series because Kathy Burke made Walking and Talking with that same girl that played her as a teenager. That was a series. And then Chris O'Dowd's got a current series on called uh, Moon Boy. Yeah, I watched the it's first great. episode of that. That was. I thought, okay, I'm going to, this is one my family is going to get. They'll love it. Yeah, and it's sort of loosely based on him growing up in Ireland and he plays his own adult imaginary best friend right which i guess in some situations might actually be kind of creepy but it's not creepy at all oh because yeah the whole show is played very yeah. like there's a really cute little animation that kind of works in things there um i love when his mom was uh campaigning for mary robinson mm-hmm. uh some funny bits there yeah a really good funny show that's moon boy and uh, and chris o'dowd man he is the king of all media i mean he's been on american tv and he's american movies hit movies he's obviously got a big career in britain he's done sitcoms he did uh the what, crimson petal and the, the white and the crimson petal yeah. white which i think is going to be on some cable channel here yeah i read the book and i read the sequel which was nothing like the book yes. which was really interesting well, we had so. a whole episode devoted to that yeah that was a good one 
And what else? Uh, the the code breaker ladies. Oh, the Bletchley yeah, Circle. That, I barely got cracked in that, but I think I'll watch it all. I was kind of getting into it. What did you think? Well, it's got a lovely Julie Graham in it. Yeah. You know, I always like her. Um, and also has Anna Maxwell Martin, who always likes to play those very kind of austere characters, not a lot of makeup, right. short hair. Yeah, I was thinking, looking at the four leads that maybe one of them might get cast in an American show and the others would be considered too plain unless they got all gussied up or something. Well, Rachel Sterling, who's, you can clearly see Diana Rigg's daughter, Mm -hmm. and she and Diana Rigg are both going to be in Doctor Who next year. She's gotten much better. I remember her first thing was tipping the velvet and she got a lot of flack for t- for her very low voice that she was using in that one she's she's gotten rid of that and i think she's become a much better actress as she's gotten older yeah they they play four code breakers during the war and now it's 1953 and they're married and stuff and uh, the serial killer is on the loose and they start seeing the patterns and all that and so they decide to become crime busters and uh, there's nice drama taking place in a period that you normally don't, really don't see you know, during the uh, the fifties there, and uh, it'd be nice if they bring that back as a series. That was a that was a good one. Did you see the scapegoat? No. They had Matthew Reese playing uh, two very different men who look identical, and they do the old switcheroo, and because uh, one kind of down and out, and the other was a very rich guy, and uh, as the regular guy, regular Joe finds out that you know there was. There's all these skeletons in the closet and there's other family and stuff like that. And it was a very interesting uh, one-off uh, TV movie drama there. And then Helen McCrory was in Leaving, which uh, was written by Tony Marchant, who's written a lot of really great dramas. Uh, John Sim was in a couple of his things. And yeah, I've acquired but haven't watched Accused, the second series yet. Have you watched that? Yeah. It starts off with Sean Bean as a transvestite. And, uh, you know, usual, uh, a man, Anna Maxwell Martin is also in one of those playing a prison guard. And again, not very much very, makeup yeah. and, and uh, things. Yeah, those are really good solid dramas because kind of from the, the mind of Jimmy McGovern, even though he doesn't write a lot of those scripts. I, I like the stuff that he does. <clears throat> Shameless is running right now. The 10th season is going on. Frank finally had to get a job. They were going to throw him off welfare otherwise, so he's working at a burger place and being <laughs> all subversive there. He has hair in the burgers. <laughs> no, he wears a hairnet. Oh, good. But yeah, there's. But he, at one point he comes home and he demands that the prostitute is not living at his house. Cook, cook some dinner. She says, you work in a, in a hamburger place. I wouldn't eat that bleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you ever go to a, a wimpy burger over in London? Because I missed them. They're, they were gone by my first trip there. No. I don't really eat fast food burgers. Oh. <laughs> I did as a kid. I uh, that's pretty much all I ate. And now, since I've been an adult, I never eat fast food burgers. <laughs> I make my own hamburgers, unless I go to Five Guys. I like Five Guys. I, th- I like Red Mill. They're my favorite in Seattle. There was a big queue, so I can never oh yeah quite uh, be bothered to go. I th- just above fast food burgers in Seattle, and some of them are good, and some of them are. Huh. I went to Katsu Burger. And had a Tokyo burger, and was, I had them take off a lot of the things they would put on there that would kind of be disgusting to me, but eh, it was okay. Oh, if you go to Los Angeles, go to a mommy burger. They're good. They're really good. There was an Amami burger that had opened a month earlier by the Orpheum Theater when my sister and I went down to see Eric Idle's play. And I knew I wanted to try to find one anyway, so it having literally five seconds next door was wonderful. And um, their burgers aren't huge, too, because I can never, I can't finish, like a Red Robin burger, I can't finish them. But these are more quality versus quantity. And they also made the best roasted beet salad I'd ever had in my life. So you should definitely go. Do you see Matt Berry in uh, a pilot called Toast of London? 
It was he played as pretentious uh, actor. It was co-written by Arthur Matthews from Father Ted, and it had some familiar faces in it. And yeah, with his voice though, he's sort of almost typecast. As oh yeah, he's got his actor. white streak in his hair, yeah. and yeah, he does have that great theatrical voice. <laughs> I always wonder if he's doing a put on or something like that. Oh, and the Huntersby. That was the other one you asked me to watch. So I watched oh, yeah. the first episode. Love Julia Davis. A lot of the press was, why hasn't she done anything in so long? It's like she She's been on tons of stuff. Yeah, and she also had twins. So she had a bit to do there at home. Well, she she was in a one-off thing called Bad Sugar, which uh, was written by the guys who did Peep Show. And it had Peter Serafinowicz and Olivia Coleman and Sharon Horgan again. It was just a great spoof of family dramas. And uh, she turned up in that as well. But yeah, uh, Hunter B is kind of, you know, it's the gothic romance version of Nutty Night. He basically plays the same character. Yep. I recognized her husband's voice, Jillian Barrett, right from the doing the narration. For a minute, I thought he was playing the doctor, too, but he wasn't. But Well, I thought, oh, the guy sounds like Alexander Armstrong. And then later on, Alexander Armstrong shows up as a different character. It's like, mm. wow, there's two guys in Britain who have the exact same posh voice. No, I, I know. Uh, I know Jillian's voice. I, I pegged it right away. I was kind of sorry he wasn't. I think the only things they've done together was that play a, couple, a year, a couple years ago, and then they did the ADBC that Richard Iowati had wrote for uh, a cable station. They're, they're very different types of comedians, though. So I can kind of see how they wouldn't blend. Yeah, the same week that uh, Bad Sugar was on, which was a spoof, there was A Touch of Cloth, which uh, Charlie Brooker did. And it was a parody of those hard-bitten crime dramas on ITV. And he actually got like real actors like John Hanna and Saran Jones, who's actually in a hard-bitten ITV drama. She's in the one with Leslie Sharp. So you have all these actors that you normally see in these kind of shows, kind of sending it up. It was kind of a police squad kind of spoof, uh, just 20 years too late. But of the two, I thought Bad Sugar was much much more on target and much funnier kind of, you know, sending up TV tropes. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you had me watch, I, I was never going to watch all of the episodes of these series because I'm, I'm a reader too, but now I'm trying to decide what I wa- else I want. Definitely Moon Boy. That's going to yeah. be something I'll watch with my mother and sister probably. Oh, and you know what starts next week? Red Dwarf 10. Oh, hey. Yeah. I, I love the fact that... <laughs> There is no Red Dwarf 9. <laughs> you know, it's referenced in the specials that came out, you know, Back to Earth. And they talked, they actually specifically talked about the episodes. Oh, yeah, in episode da 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 in season nine, you did these things. And we'll never see those. I thought that's, that's great. Yep, Danny John Jules is looking great in the preview. Craig Charles is not. Well, these dancers, I mean, if you want to age well, be a dancer in your youth. <sighs> Even if you look in Pan's People or, um, and uh, Hot Gossip that... If you when you see them now in old cl- in clip shows, they they still look fantastic in their fifties and sixties. Yeah, but Craig Charles, you know, it's been twenty three years since Red Dwarf started, and yeah. he's he's a middle aged guy now. Bit of bit of a hard liver too. Well, maybe I don't know if that meant like internal liver, but probably that. But I mean, he lives hard and plays hard. I, I know somebody who was assigned to to be a assistant for him when he was in town. That was 12, 13 years ago to be on Channel 9. And, and Anglicon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I'm hoping it's funny. I, I like the last full series they did when they um, got back to the ship and, and got Rimmer back on there and, and uh, really focused on those things. I know some people slagged off the eighth season, but I, I really liked it. And uh, um, well, On the YouTube prom where they show the, the little sneak preview, there have been some commenters who said they were in the audience and it was very, very funny. So there we go. Yeah, so that starts a week from Thursday.
Well, I th- have we all reviewed out? I think so. So that's what we've been watching yeah. so far in 2012. There's other things. I will have a ton of reviews on my website. Follow the link in the show notes there. And if you want us to do more podcasts, hey, send us some feedback. You know, get on our Facebook page, join that. Follow me on Twitter, Brit TV Podcast. Send us an email, feedback at BritishTVPodcast.com. You know, there's like the same three or four people who are always begging us, hey, do another podcast. But, you know, you've got to do it for more than three or four people. So we'll see. People have been downloading these things. I, at least 25 downloads of our latest, our last episode, which is now 10 months old, um, every month. Well, hey. So people start from the beginning and, and do that too. So, and I know people are out there. So we'll see how many uh, downloads we get this week of, of this one here. But uh, You've got a, a small cat in your inbox now yeah she's, she's about to collapse right it it's in her plastic yeah the cats have been running around all night here we had one catastrophe which we probably edited out of this thing and and at one point i saw max was sitting on the table very patiently just kind of watching you yep i think he was waiting to be petted or something so that's that's our cat report here uh so that's all from us uh for now but uh we're gonna go back to the our remote controls here and and find british tv here and there's lots of stuff coming on here pbs um, like I say, I would catch right now Call the Midwife on Masterpiece. You've got uh, Downton Abbey coming in January. At some point, The Hollow Crown will be on. Uh, get on Hulu, watch The Thick of It. And if you are able to get shows under nefarious means, then check out some of the programs that we talked about that we liked. And if you disagree with us about Parade's End, I would love to hear from you. Someone tell me how this show is awesome and I and Chrissy and I have somehow missed this. <laughs> because <laughs> I did not get the awesomeness at all. I just thought, wow, this is a huge misfire. Maybe that's why they bunked it on in the summer. I don't know. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.